0: You can remain standing with me and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We are going to finish chapter 11 today with verses 32 through 40. Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 40. Again, hear the word of God. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead from resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect amen may God bless this reading of his word to our hearts minds and lives you may be seated <clears throat> we touch on eschatology in the end times um, it's quite a involved uh, doctrinal study of a couple of old testament texts and revelation it's fascinating um, We've been through it with Mike before and it was a, a great study. Um, but if you want just uh, a, a three-word uh, summary of all of biblical eschatology, just remember our side wins. Um, there's not much more that you, you need to understand. Well, there's more you need to understand than that, but it's a great summary of the triumph of the church, of the triumph of Christ in redemptive history. And that's the point. God is glorifying himself in redemptive history, in human history. Then he'll bring it all to an end and start, start it over, recreate everything. And as we heard in Sunday school this morning, we'll have a, a new Eden. Uh, we started in Eden and we'll, we're will we headed back to Eden again. A great hope there, a great a great message there about uh, our victory in Christ. And this is a passage, as, as our author finishes his thoughts on uh, the Old Testament greats in faith, it has that hint, it has that flavor as he brings this, these thoughts to an end of faith's triumph and faith's victory that the, the redeemed are victors, the re- redeemed are conquerors, the church is a conquering, victorious, militant body of Christ. And we are part of that body. We are members of it. And it's, it's a glorious thing to consider and an encouraging thing to, to ponder that you and I have been by grace, and that's, that's going to be a common element throughout this as we go through this morning, of, um, of the church and uh, the faith with which God has redeemed her. So faith triumphs here at the end, and it's it's appropriate that this this idea of faith that's being triumphant and conquering uh, bring his thoughts, uh, the spirit's um, um, teaching here to a conclusion at the end of chapter eleven. So faith triumphs, and it triumphs over four things here. Faith triumphs over the fall. We're going to look at that in verses thirty-two through thirty-four. In verse thirty-five, tri, uh, faith triumphs over death. <clears throat> Thirdly, thirty-six through seven, thirty-eight, tri, uh, faith triumphs over suffering. And finally, uh, faith triumphs, verse thirty-nine and forty, over the future. Okay, so let's uh, let's go back at the verse thirty-two through 30, 34 and see how faith triumphs over the fall. Now. This is basically, uh, uh, we've just finished with Joshua last week and the conquering of Canaan by faith. Now we are going from what really comes next after the book of Joshua is Judges. And so we go from, from Gideon, or the Judges, I would say, all the way up to John the Baptist. The last Old Testament prophet is John the Baptist, okay? Then the Old Testament ends. Where where have we concluded that the Old Testament ends? In the Gospels, when the temple curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant would have been, is ripped in half. There, the old covenants has been fulfilled in Christ and in His life and death. But faith triumphs over the fall, and. So what what am I thinking here? Well, what more shall I say, our author says, for time would fail me to to go back over Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. I'll stop there because these first four guys were kind of scoundrels. Um, Of course, the whole book of Numbers, it's about 400 years if you count the generations and the years that passed, 400 years of Israelite history in Canaan. that was nothing but a dark cloud now there was redemption there was the silver linings Uh, God's people would rebel against the Lord he would uh, plunge them into persecution and oppression by an enemy then as they repented and called for the Lord's help he would send them a judge he would uh, come and fight for them and bring them back to freedom conquer their enemies and then repeat and repeat and repeat throughout those 400 years it was a dark time and there was a particularly evil and dark time in that period of time, but we won't describe all that. It was, just, it was just a, and in those days, there was no king. So here, whoever's writing the book of Judges is making the case for the monarchy that would come, and he's already writing after the monarchy. The, um, these historical books of the Old Testament were probably written sometime uh, during the, uh, the exile to, to Babylonia. Uh, to remind Israel who they were and to whom they belonged, and that God still had His hand on them and His arms around them. But Gideon, okay, <clears throat> and now again, and this was rather eye-opening as I, as I went back and looked at Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Samson and Jephthah. Um, there was redeeming faith there. And, you know, I used to, I used to worry and, and were concerned about a couple of them at least. Uh, Samson, if you read the narrative of Samson, he was a womanizer. Uh, he, he loved uh, to drink. He loved uh, to party it up. Uh, he loved to kill Philistines um, and lots of them at a time. He, he appears to us in Scripture as somewhat conflicted. I mean, he, he's the Lord's, and we know that our author, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not going to set anyone behind, before us in this list, in Hebrews 11, and say, by faith Jephthah, or by faith Samson, and then Samson and Jephthah, or Barak or Gideon, not be redeemed. So this is the ultimate. I mean, you can read the Old Testament and have a bad. Uh, I'm concerned for these guys, but then you come to the New Testament, and then they're they're backed up and they're said they're good to go. Don't worry about that. They had a, a faith that was uh, given to them, and they were redeemed individuals. And my my point here, uh, particularly with these first four names, these first four people, is that God's grace in faith triumphs over the fall, over our fall from uh, our innocence. And all the sin that is perpetuated in life, even in the redeemed's lives, in in the church's life, uh, in the Old Testament faithful's lives, sin was there, fallenness was there, rebellion was there. Gideon, okay, the thing about Gideon was, I mean, he even says it when God calls him, and we believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ at the fire that reveals himself to Gideon and says, I've called you for this purpose, O mighty one of Benjamin. And Gideon's kind of looking around like, who are you referring to? Because Benjamin's the least of the tribes, and I'm the least within my family, within the tribe of Benjamin. What? What? So he has this sense of humility. He kind of knows his place, and it's like, like, I'm the least of my clan, the least of the tribes of Israel. And God says, exactly. That's why I'm calling you to do great things through you and Gideon did submit but you know he tripped and fell give me three signs before I can really be sure Lord's being patient with him you know he, he struggled in his faith but there it was and God was gracious to him overcoming with this gift of salvation through faith the fall that we're all plagued with still as we grow in Christ, as we are sanctified more and more every day. I mean, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, but we are being sanctified of what's left to be removed. So there's Gideon. Barak, um, he's probably a little bit better. It's just that, it's that one time where Deborah, who was actually the judge, he was a prophetess, and she said, okay, Barack, you need to get your men together and attack the, I think it's the um, uh, Ammonites. And he says, well, okay, but I'm not going without you. I'm, if you don't come with me, I'm not going. And, okay, so Deborah said, I'll come with you. But because you wouldn't just go when the Lord commanded you, uh, the glory will be given to a woman. I love this narrative, a jail um, and her Kenite father. The Kenites were related to Israel, if you remember. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And so Israel, in a sense, married into Ken, or the Kenites, back at Sinai, and had been friends of Israel ever since. And here you have the Kenites camped over here, one of the patriarchs of of Ken, not the ones we know, but uh, are not far away when... Barak is attacking Sisera, and I believe it's the Ammonites. Sisera escapes the battle; he's losing it. He he runs into this uh, encampment of Kenites, and Jael says, "Oh, come on in here; I'll hide you." Next thing he knows, he's uh, he's hammered to the floor of her tent with a, a tent peg through his, his skull. And uh, so God's provision with with uh, family friends of Israel. And then you have in chapter five of of um, judges there, Deborah and and Barak's song of deliverance and praise to God. So again, it's there. And the point is, and I have to admit, I'm I'm always encouraged by such people and by such passages because these guys have their failures and their weaknesses, and yet God calls them forth and gives them what they need, and they. He gives them that faith. He redeems them, and he calls them to himself, and they obey, and they submit, and they do great things. And this is the point of the this last part of the chapter. Um, <clears throat> Samson, again, we've talked about him. Uh, Jephthah, okay. Uh, the most problem I have is with Jephthah, and we can argue about the fact that... Uh, I have no problem with the fact Jephthah's mother was a prostitute. I mean, God takes, you know... Uh, the least and lowliest, and of uh, the most wayward backgrounds, and, and makes them great by His grace. But he was kind of like one of those guys that grows up. He's rejected by his family there in Israel, so he kind of goes out. He's kind of like this guy who goes out and starts a motorcycle club, like a, like a the Canaan Angels, Hell's Angels, and he's just biking around and they're you know beating up old ladies and uh, robbing convenience stores and just. Well, maybe not that, but they're kind of a nuisance, They're kind of intimidating to look at. He runs around with bad, a bad sword. That's how he's described just before, again, Israel's enemy comes in, and they call out to the big bad guy, uh, Jephthah, to come save them, fight for us. And he says, wait a minute, you've run me off to my motorcycle gang. Now you want me back when time's, yeah, well, still, we want you to come fight for us. So he does, and they said, if you win deliver us so you can be in charge over it. so um, there are times in that narrative and with Jephthah that's uh, uh, Judges 11 uh, where we have the story of Jephthah he, um, <clears throat> does Mary has kids and he makes this, this <coughs> vow where if, if I defeat Israel's enemies then the first thing that comes out to me from my household door I will sacrifice to the Lord I don't know if he thought a cow was going to come out of his front door. But uh actually his daughter did. And I I looked at it again and there's there's ways you can you can make the argument that he didn't he didn't um sacrifice her by killing her because that would throw the whole thing of Jephthah being redeemed. I mean, one of the most awful things you could do, one of the things that God said, we're gonna have none of this in Israel, is human sacrifice. Now, she's going off for two months with her girlfriends to lament her virginity. Like, I guess she's not going to marry. At best, she's not going to marry. She's not going to have her own family. At worst, you know, she can be killed. Either way, Jephthah's, for me, the the most problematic, except he's in this list. So he's one of the redeemed of the Lord. But see the problem, see the, the conflict, see the... The curse of the fall in these men's lives and yet overcome and triumphed over by faith, by God's grace and redemption. Now you have David and we know about David. He was kind of spotted too. He had his problems. Um, He was a man after God's own heart and yet adultery and and murder in the same week. Um, And yet these are the very things that encourage us about such men as these that we are no better before God and we need the same grace and we need the same faith that they received but notice what they did and others like them Uh, David and Samuel um, the first of the the real Old Testament prophets in that way and and the rest of the Old Testament prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice obtained promises stopped the mouth of, of the lions quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war put armies foreign armies to flight notice how busy that is how redeemed of the redeemed church how uh, faith redeeming faith is powerful and what is accomplished through this this redemption of, of god for his people and when when his people follow after him and oppose the world in this way look at the victories look at the power of redeeming faith now You and I probably haven't conquered a a, a kingdom lately. Um, Well, maybe enforce justice at home, do that. Obtaining promises, uh, I've never been very close to a lion, so I quench the power of fire. But think of it this way. You know, Paul says um, in Ephesians 6 that our, our fights, our battles, our warfare isn't, like this anymore now it was at one time and there are times when it's outward and it's physical but we fight a spiritual battle and we fight spiritual battles in an overall spiritual war and our, our implements of warfare are spiritual and eternity at stake in our souls it could be said and argued that we're and there's a lot more at stake here than just the terra firma and geopolitical or the the reality around us and Paul kind of gathers us gathers us back to what really is going on in our lives and our walks with Christ so that when we conquer kingdoms and we kind of touched on that last week in 2nd Corinthians 10 where we bring down strongholds but it's spiritual we bring down arguments we tear down uh, rebellion against God The church does in the world perhaps one of the kingdoms that we're conquering in our sanctification our own hearts and minds that Christ the Holy Spirit is conquering us that we are helping in that we are submitting to and being part of that conquering of my heart and my will as the Lord makes me more and more his own and makes me more and more like Christ so it's still going on, isn't it? We are still a victorious people. Uh, the church is still a conquering church. But keep in mind that um, this side of the, the finished work of Christ, it's, it's mostly spiritual and uh, fighting for Christ um, on, on spiritual grounds in the world around us and society around us. Now, we could go back and look at each of these act, actions of faith. We can see Elijah and some of it, David, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, this thorn in his side that God said, I will make you, it weakens you, but in your weakness I will be made strong. It's those sorts of things that make us powerful in Christ. <clears throat> they obtained promises. Uh, they they did enjoy some of the temporal uh, uh, fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies like Canaan, the conquering of Canaan, uh, and other promises that were fulfilled temporally. But the main promises, ultimately, the person and work of Christ, fulfilled, finished, it is finished, done, they never received that in their lifetime. In the whole corpus of Old Testament covenantal history, these people of faith, <clears throat> never met Jesus, never saw Christ, but anticipated him. But they they weren't the ones like we are, the ones that could look back on the finished work of Christ. And yet, like them, we look forward to something still. Uh, glorification, the consummation of all things, the return of Christ for his church. We all look forward. I don't get my punchline at the end away, but... Um, Faith triumphs over the fall with the grace of God. Each of these people mentioned there conquered and were victorious because of God's grace in their lives and God's grace in redemption and giving them this faith that conquers all. Faith triumphs over the fall. Secondly, faith triumphs over death. A little one-verse uh, blurb here about <clears throat> death and then life again from death and the word resurrection is used. Now, the two most um, obvious passages in the Old Testament, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Um, you have 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Kings 17, and Elijah, the widow of Zarephath. Uh, she was most likely a Gentile, so God uh, that lived in Sidon, right there on the Mediterranean. The Lord told Elijah, go spend, spend a piece of time in Sidon. I've commanded a, a woman there, a widow there, to feed you. So he shows up, and uh, uh, the spirit he he knows who it is. And she's coming to get some water. He said, "Give me some water, and then go home and make me some bread, and then bring it back to me." And you know, she's you now she's been she's going to be given this faith, right? And she said, "Well, I." Actually, I was just preparing to get some water and go back and make uh, a little bit of bread with the oil I had left. We, my son and I were going to eat it, and then we're going to die. That's how bad it was. It was just a famine. He says, all the same, go make me a cake of bread, bring it back to me, and, and let me eat. <clears throat> so she does, and there's this faith here. So she feeds Elijah, and then he said, because you have submitted to this your your oil will never go dry and your 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 um your flower will never run out until i bring until the lord brings rain on the earth again so there's that blessing hallelujah and everything except now that the child goes sick and dies um, and so she cries out to the prophet again he comes and you know the story uh, the lord brings his little boy back to life um, Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Um, Old Testament death to life. First Kings 17, Elijah. Second Kings 4, Elisha, um, Elijah's replacement, um, and the Shunammite widow. Now she was a little bit different. She was wealthy, had a husband. He was older. Uh, and the, the age gap there was apparently so much that. They couldn't have a child together. So <clears throat> she uh, she uh, is gracious to the prophet as well, uh, but um, he says, well, what, what shall the Lord do for you uh, since you've been kind this way? And she didn't say it. She's just standing there in front of him. Um, his And Hazi, his his helper, said, well, she's, her husband's old she's still childbearing years but you know she has no child and Elijah says well this time next year you'll be cradling a little boy and she's oh come on now don't don't mess with me don't don't mess with me prophet you know don't lie to me you wouldn't lie to me would you he says this time next year and sure enough um, she's able to conceive and she has a child a little boy but again the boy. Gets sick and it's on his deathbed. Elijah. Elijah comes in and and um, the Lord raises this little boy back to life again. So you have two instances there of, of uh, two little children dying and being raised again and receiving back their dead in resurrection. Um, so even then, Old Testament and you know death to life is is nothing new to us as we read redemptive history in the scriptures uh, god's kind of he does that sort of thing christ lazarus obviously uh paul i believe uh brings someone back to life fell out of a window at one of his uh, sermons there in acts <clears throat> um it happened okay but it It portends of something greater, the resurrection, of Christ's resurrection, of that which secures redemption for the church, is the resurrection of Christ from the grave. But you have it here in the Old Testament. Faith conquers death. It does. Our redemption, our justification in Christ, in his finished work, conquers death. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no, therefore now no second death for God's people, the church. You may die once, but you won't die twice. Eternal life in heaven with the Lord. So again, this victory of faith, this triumph of faith, it conquers, it triumphs over the fall. Look who, look who gets to be faithful and, and great by God's grace. And now look who is able to receive their, their dead children back to life again. Faith triumphs even over death. Thirdly, tri- uh, faith triumphs over suffering. Now, it's all not just conquering and, and destroying the enemy for God's people. There's the suffering part, and it's, it's pretty bad. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Again, this is this is uh, beneficial stuff for us to read. You know, We're not at the heights drawing our sword and conquering our enemies like this all day long. In a sense, we are. But spiritually. And again, we're not at the rock bottom here living with sheepskins and eating locusts in a cave so you have this whole range of the experience of the church by faith in God and Christ ultimately in the old covenant faith triumphs over our suffering and again our suffering may not look like this but we do suffer Okay, We live in the South in the United States of America. In what way, Tim, are you saying we suffer? Was well, God's people redeemed, justified, looking forward to heaven? In this world? Oh, yeah, we suffer. And if you're not, you should be. That's a question we need to ask. Am I suffering? Is Is being in this world, <clears throat> in this temporal body, in this context, with everything going on, does this bother me? Does this... Make me long and groan for heaven. Paul says that in Romans 8, that we we groan and we long for our eternal home. This is a chapter that's been about the, the church of God throughout redemptive history, groaning and longing and looking forward to their eternal home. And not wanting to stick around eternally here. This is not our home. Now we may get some mocking and flo well flogging, uh, change imprisonment, maybe that 's coming being stoned, sawn in two, they say elijah was was cut in half under Manasseh there one of the evil kings of Judah and we've we 've seen where god 's people in the scriptures have been killed with the sword, John the Baptist put to death by Herod, John the Baptist going about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. <clears throat> Um, and yet they conquered. I love that. I love that, of whom the world was not worthy. The world was not worthy. The world, the world, beloved, was not deserving that these people lived with them on it. As one commentator hinted, in condemning the saints, in condemning the church, in condemning God's people, these kinds especially, they condemn themselves. As we said, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, Mike was teaching us that the the lost, the rebellious, the the, the reprobate are, are storing up judgment for themselves. And who do they attack? Isn't it? It's not funny, but isn't it interesting how Christians, more than any other religious group or any other group on the face of the earth today, are the are the the recipients of hatred and abuse and persecution. There's a reason for that. This is God's world and we're his people. And those who aren't his people know it. I mean, they just know. <laughs> if you want a good book for your library, I don't recommend it for light reading, but Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, I think it, uh, it starts with uh, the disciples that were killed and martyred all the way up to, how late does it go, uh, 18th century, 19th century. Uh, and again, it's not light reading because it, it, it hallmarks some of the standouts who, who died for the, the name and cause of Christ throughout the ages in church history. But faith triumphs over that does not Christ triumph over our suffering in his name he has already told us you will suffer because of me if they persecuted me and put me to death what do you think is going to be your, your fate your not fate but perhaps your, your destiny your, um, the, the final highest price you pay or anything short of that we suffer we do and it looks like we're going to suffer some more before it's all over. But we do so confidently, secured in Christ, knowing who we are and to whom we belong. Beloved, it's, it's still the case. The world is not worthy of the church with whom they live. that shouldn't be something that goes to our heads, but simply to remember that, that God is sovereign over all. He has created all things and, and he loves us. We are the apple of his eye. What do you think is going to be the result that he will bring us through the cloud? He will bring us through the waters. He will bring us through the suffering. He will conquer it as he calls us to himself. And you've been through suffering before and you've come through the other side and in Christ you conquered it because of the redemption and the faith that God graciously gave you so faith triumphs over the fall it triumphs over death it triumphs over suffering finally it triumphs over the future this may be a somewhat interesting point it's it's probably the most important point as as our author finishes this, this great chapter, verses 39 and 40, and all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they, these Old Testament saints, should not be made perfect. Now, what is our author saying to us here? Well, again, that word commended, we saw, we've saw we seen already uh, in chapter 11. Uh, it's the word martyreo. Uh, where martyr comes from, uh, the, their witness. And as you remember the martyrs, you have good memories of them. They were, they're commended, they're exalted in what they did. Uh, a martyr's witness to the world is one in which uh, the message of Christ is exalted, and they, by relationship, are exalted as well. Commended through their faith. They did not receive what was promised. Now, just to cut to the quick here, the ultimate thing that was promised from the beginning, Genesis 3.15, was the person and work of Christ, completed, redemption of God's church, body of Christ, redeemed, justified. That is the promise of Old Testament redemptive history. These folks never saw that come to bear finally again just imagine the crowd that was surrounding Jesus on the cross that, that afternoon God turns off the lights at noon just shuts it off it's like midnight curtain in the temple is ripped from top to bottom this is the most momentous part really that weekend but right there so much is happening the Old Testament's coming to a close um the new the New Testament's beginning, the new covenant is born. Uh, God's people, past, present, future, are redeemed. They're justified. They're they're marked and counted, bagged and tagged. See, this is a future to the old covenant saints. Faith is conquering their future. And that's what I see here as our author continues his thought. They they did not receive the person of Christ in their lifetimes. They look forward to it. We've already been over the 13 through 16. Um, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. People who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. They've been thinking of the land from which they had gone out. They could have returned as it is they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed be called their God for he has prepared for them a city they were looking in and anticipating something greater from their perspective they didn't end up experiencing it they anticipated it they looked forward to it again Jesus in John 8 says Abraham saw my day and was glad for Abraham seeing Jesus day and being joyful over it was faith, God's redeeming faith, conquering the future for him is done there was that echo backward throughout redemptive, it is finished that even the Old Testament saints heard and could rejoice in, even though the fallout from the finished work of Christ that we know this is our the power of our sanctification Uh, this side of the resurrection of Christ that we enjoy in its fullness. You know, they could only anticipate it, and yet their, their way to the throne was already bought and paid for in Christ. Faith conquered their future. They were good to go. Did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. For us, in the finished work of Christ, we look back on it in history. We we read about the life of Christ in the Gospels. We we read about his ascension and what's going on since in the Pauline letters and and Petrine letters and the, the general epistles of the old of the New Testament. We are indeed a blessed people. We are we have so much potential, and this is where we go next our Hebrew our writer to Hebrews says okay now these people are watching us now I don't know if this is a I don't know that 12 1 2 and 3 are a proof text for people in heaven watching us now so, no huh? you know and being glad or you know disappointed and come on Tim you know I, I don't know um I think it's face value, since we're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, I guess cheering us on, or at least they've gone before us, right? We have their example. And they didn't even have the finished work of Christ, and we do. So what's our excuse exactly if we fail? What are they going to say? How are we going to explain ourselves to this crowd of witnesses and their example that has gone before us? that's coming up God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect now what's he saying here well again we're all one body of Christ all the way back to Adam and Eve okay and unified in the person and work of Christ in our redemption and the gift of faith it's always it's the same gift throughout redemptive history that saves God calls a person forward or a family forward or a nation forward, he gives them the gift of faith. He redeems them and justifies them. Even before Christ, they're justified because of Christ. And his future finished work. This is how faith conquers the future for these Old Testament saints. Now, we are those who have lived afterwards. God has provided something better for us. We can look back on a a finished redemption. And the given Holy Spirit. If they were to not have what we have now, we'd all be still separated and they should not be made perfect. Now, perfect here is not morally perfect like in the Old Testament, they would have been made perfect. Morally, no. It's that word teleos again. It means to it can be made to perfect, but it means more times than not to complete. They would not have been completed unless Christ had finally come. And then here we are, the recipients of that finished work. Now they're complete in us. They can enjoy from a distance. And faith conquering their futures, now they're, they're unified with the church that they've always been a part of. But now, you know, we're, we're one body ultimately here and in heaven of Christ. As one commentator wrote, they will be glorified with us, um, not we with them, basically. Uh, we'll, we're growing in Christ this side of his finished work. They will be glorified with us. Um, our potential is greater. Our, our works, as great as these works that we've been over in chapter 11 are, ours would be better and greater with more potential. So apart from us, they should not be completed. But in us, this side of Christ, they are complete in us. One body of Christ, one church unified throughout the ages. As Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and I'll read it very quickly here. There is one body and one spirit, Paul writes, just as you were called to the the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That has always been enjoyed. That's always been a truth of the church throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, from the beginning to the end. One Lord, one faith, one sacrament, one, one secure um, act that God gives us, the table, baptism. They had those things in the Old Testament. We've always been unified with them because of Christ. But without Christ, it would not be unified with us. And they would not be completed unless Christ had come. So we'll be all completed together at the end. And um, notice how, just in closing, the church has always been looking for. From Adam and Eve to Seth to the the godly of all, they've always been looking for. Remember, the Old Testament saints didn't build cities. They lived in tents. When they conquered Canaan, God said, be grateful for the cities you did not build and for the wells that you did not have to dig and for the walls that, you know, were already up. We're just passing through. And when we kick someone out, we'll use your house. We'll use your fortresses. We've never been in in the process of building a city in this world that we stay in found ourselves on. We're looking forward to a heavenly city. Always looking forward, beloved. So in our forward looking, in our anticipation of the future, and our hope and joy in it, let's remember how the faith with which God saves us triumphs over our fall, in our redemption, over our death, in our eventual resurrection. Over every day that we suffer in the name of Christ, we suffer triumphantly and victoriously. And in all of that, our futures are conquered in the gift of faith that God has given us and in his redemption. So be encouraged. Um, Be um, buoyed by this. Be prepared for it. Uh, It's been a great chapter of of. Of glorious faith exhibited over the centuries before Jesus ever was born. Be encouraged, be challenged that the church now <clears throat> unified with the old has greater things ahead of us. So don't lose heart, don't despair. Our side wins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these reminders. Lord, we thank you for the this roll call of faith that we've enjoyed these last several weeks, Lord, what a what a beautiful testament to redemption and the power of uh, faith and your presence in our hearts and minds, Lord, in this world. Uh, encourage us with that, Lord. Strengthen and embolden us with it. May we be nothing more or less than conquerors as you, as you have promised that we will be. And greater is he that is in us, your Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. Help us to embrace those truths, Lord, and live them, love them, and work them out in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.